Welcome to Voices of the Ancestors, where we explore Georgian polyphonic songs and the women who sing them. Hello from Tbilisi. Your hosts are reunited. I'm on my second day here and I'm in Susan's apartment. And today we are super excited for today's guest editor episode. You're going to have such a journey around crunchy vocal music from Georgia and beyond. Oh, yes. Today's episode, we're shaking things up. So the voices today are not Holly and Susan, your usual hosts. Yeah, today we've handed over the keys to the editing suite to our good friend, Jen Morris, who you might have heard in our very first episode. Now, Jen leads a vocal ensemble in Seattle called 145. And if you are new to the podcast and this is the first episode you've ever listened to, welcome. I hope you'll enjoy the women's voices you'll hear. This podcast, it gives an international platform to unheard stories. You're joining a community of listeners from France to Finland, from Jen's native Bay Area in the States to our beloved Georgia. We really love hearing from our listeners. It was really great to hear in our community Facebook group about a new Georgian choir starting up in West London. Oh, yeah. And then there was one of our supporters who got in touch because she'd binged listened to all of our past episodes over the ironing and then brought us an extra cup of coffee on COVID. (laughs) Yeah. And there was another thing this summer. It was really great to meet our supporters in real life, in the flesh. Oh, yeah. At the Omnibus Theatre in Clapham, where we were performing our theatre show, Voices of the Ancestors, (laughs) on stage. Um, And then there was the excitement of getting our first ever patron on Patreon. And they've helped us get one step closer to funding the next series of the podcast. So, yeah, do get involved and get in touch. It's an interactive thing. So we'll keep you updated with our stories on Instagram and Facebook. And, yeah, we'll put all the links to these things in the show notes. So just check it out. Jen's guest is the wonderful singer and vocal coach, Bridget Boyle. You might know her from the women's vocal ensemble, Keepka. I know of her because I've been going to her online vocal warm-ups, which she's been running throughout the pandemic. Oh, I didn't know about those. I knew of Keepka because, well, they'd travelled and performed in Georgia. And they've had children folk songs in their repertoire for years. But the thing that sticks in my mind is I'm sure they must have had a designer work with them because he had these beautiful costumes on stage, Mm. which had got just these little edges of Georgian folk art in them. Oh, yeah. And then it was just such a real pleasure to to learn more about Bridget and Kitka. Yeah, it was one of those really open and deep conversations. And one of my favourite bits is when Bridget talks about the three sorts of ancestors, Mm -hmm. spiritual, genetic, and I think she calls it humanity. Mm. For me, that was really nice to hear someone 
acknowledge that because I've been doing a lot of work on my ancestry, which is separate to Voices of the Ancestors. Mm. Um, so that was great. And I also liked when she touches on the issue of cultural appropriation. That's a really live topic at the moment in the UK around the Natural Voice Network. So, yeah, I loved hearing these two professionals discussing that. Yeah. And there was a bit in their chat and I was just really moved. They, they, they're sharing stories about the influence of working with, with strong women teachers from other countries. So like Tamabuadze in Georgia and Svetlana Smagic in Serbia. And they're kind of comparing and reflecting on how these meetings were for them. Well, they didn't just impact on their singing and their approach to vocal work. It clearly, it really impacted their whole voice and their whole approach to life, to actual living. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much, Holly and Susan, for that introduction. I want to add one tiny correction for our worldwide audience. While I was indeed born in San Francisco, California, and one could technically say that I'm from the Bay Area, I currently live in Seattle, Washington, which is two states north of California. Bridget lives in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area, where she sings with the Balkan women's ensemble Kitka and her Balkan American trio, True Life Trio. She is also a solo recording artist and a vocal coach dedicated to helping people find their authentic voice. When Holly and Susan asked me to be the guest editor for their podcast, I immediately thought about how I could bring the West Coast perspective to Voices of the Ancestors. Bridget and I both live on the westmost edge of the United States, with the Pacific Ocean to our west and mountains to our east, and we are both 11 or 12 time zones away from Georgia, depending on the time of year. When you are a woman who loves Georgian music, who also happens to live 6,000 miles away from Georgia, you pay close attention to when you find your people. Although I don't know Bridget well, I knew there had to be a special reason why singing Georgian and Balkan music next to her felt so satisfying. In my interview with her, I think I discovered several reasons why that might be true. Have a listen and see what you think. <laughs> The voices today are Jen Morris and Bridget Boyle. So, Bridget, I thought it would be really interesting to ask you about your experience with Georgian singing. And I know that you sing with Kitka, which is a Balkan singing ensemble in the Bay Area, but that you also have experience singing Georgian music with them and separate from them. Tell me about some of your experiences singing Georgian songs. Okay, yeah. So thank you so much for having me on. This is great. Georgian music has always been such a beautiful, fascinating, like deep, old, 
like it's got this gravity to it that I think is unique to Georgian music. And so I, I think my the first Georgian song I ever sung was Shen Harvanahi with Kitka. And through through the work I did with Kitka, we sang with Carl Linick, we traveled to Georgia and got to study with Tutar Chela and Tamar Buadze and multiple other singers in the area. And I've sung Georgian music with True Life Trio. I've sung Georgian music with Temple of Light Choir, which was directed by Christine Barrett, and which was an offshoot of Kika, sort of a Kika community choir. And I've, it's one of those regions of the world where you could spend an entire lifetime really learning the subtleties of the music and it's also very accessible. It's, it's got this really interesting mix of a total beginner could sing it relatively easily and you could spend your whole life learning the tuning system. It's just the subtleties and then the regional variations have been super um, rich and fascinating to dig in on. I think there's something that happens when I sing Georgian music that fe it feels very rooted to the center of the earth. Like it feels very old and, and just, it is. Like a lot of, not all of the songs that I've sung are really old, but a lot of them are quite old. And to connect to that part of humanity, just that like really ancient feeling is, it's such an honor and it's such a, mm -hmm. I think also it's an important practice for the modern people who are interested in folk music mm -hmm. to recognize that like our history is so complex and old and rich and beautiful and like there's something about Georgian folk singing that feel I feel that when I'm doing it mm -hmm. and the language is super it's such a it's a challenging language but it's also it's it, again it has this sort of simplicity to it that is really like once you're able to get the sounds in your mouth, it can be, it, it, it just feels so universal in a way. The other thing I want to say is that like when I traveled there, I, and seeing the landscape where each regional variations came from, yes. it matched. Right? Like, when you go to Cajeti, you understand why the ornaments are the way they are. And it reminded me of my first trip to the Balkans where I was like, oh, I get why the music sounds this way. And it makes me wonder as an American, like how can we create music that like sits within the land that we're in? Because I think music is, it's this universal language. It's the connection between like human and earth and animals. And it's, it's just, I could go on. Yeah. Oh, I can definitely relate to that feeling of feeling rooted in the earth and that you can feel the music from the land around you and what you said about the, the landscape or the music sort of mimics the landscape. And that's a very familiar feeling for me. I remember when I was in Guria, I was in Bukisike and you know how some of the Gurian parts have um, the crematuli or the top, the top voice. And sometimes it's like, and I swear to God, I heard a bird outside the window that was like, I'm like, what? Yeah. The birds do that here. Like, of course, that's what's in the music. It made so much yeah. sense.
Well, let's go back to um, talking about working with Tamar Buadze and Tutarchela. So that was something that um, I kind of watched from a distance and thought, oh, this is so cool that they're doing that. Like, oh. um, I had been to Georgia earlier that year for the first oh. time with Carl on one of his trips. Um, and we had stayed in the same place where you all were on that like infamous, no, very recognizable red couch with a red, <laughs> yes. red velvet couch that goes all the way around the right. room. Um, and so it was so neat to see like, I was there, I was in that space and now they're in that space and they're singing with these women. And um, so I guess one thing I wanted to ask is that um, for me, most of my experience going to Georgia learning songs in Georgia has been learning from men mm. and not only men but old men yeah <laughs> what was it like learning these very old very traditional songs from women and was that different in any way oh absolutely I mean yes I'd say it was and I think part of what was different was that I think Tamar really comes at music from like a revolutionary place you know, and I'm just getting chills. Wow. She's so powerful in her vision of what Georgian culture can become and how women singing traditionally male men's music can, it, she's breaking all the rules. Yeah, like she is just, <laughs> I just don't, I'm just going to do this because this music is amazing and I don't, mm. and I feel like of I, I, it's like I barely even remember what songs we learned or like the actual musical exchange, but I remember, and this is something I've recognized from working with so many mentors over the years. I remember the like messages about music more than the music mm -hmm. itself sometimes. Mm -hmm. And from mm -hmm. her, I just remember her saying, "We like we sing like men." But mm -hmm. we sing from this feminine, like we are empowered women and we're we're shifting the model of how Georgian music is expressed. And it's beautiful. It's, it was so powerful to be around. It was like, I just remember sitting in that living room. I do remember sitting in the living room and being surrounded by mm -hmm. this like incredible group that they opened their mouths and the sound was, it's, you can't even describe it. It was so like integrated. Like, instantly mm -hmm. integrated. Mm -hmm. There was no question of anything. Everybody knew their role. Everybody did their role. Everybody held the song. It was like the song, you could feel that the song was the center of the energy. Like it wasn't about any mm -hmm. individual. And I love that about Tamar. Mm -hmm. I feel like her, mm -hmm. she carries, she's a song carrier, you know, in this way that mm -hmm. her connection to it is so deep and beautiful. And then the other thing I want to say about Tamar that I've seen over the years is just her interest in like cross-cultural exchange and that yes. folk music, like while being careful about cultural appropriation and all those things is super important, it's also really important to exchange culture and yes. learn about yes. other cultures and sing music from different places so that you have a little bit maybe better understanding of what the human experience is from different mm -hmm. angles. And we could talk about that whole cultural appropriation topic for an hour, but mm -hmm. but I think that what she does, and I've seen this with other 
singers Eastern Europe and this area where there's like this interest in, okay, this is, I'm so deeply steeped in my folk culture. How can we find the ties between my culture and this other culture or whatever? The work she's doing is super fascinating and, and she's facilitating singing for so many yes. people. She's a great teacher. She's really kind. And Keitka got to work with her during the pandemic a little bit. We did a couple Zoom oh, calls nice. with her. Nice. It was really yeah. lovely. And in a way, like that was one of the biggest silver linings of the pandemic was that we all, you know, we got to sing with people all over, all over the world. She's so grounded mm -hmm. and I want to be that grounded, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. interesting for me to hear you say all those things about Tamar um, because for me she was one of the she possibly was uh, Tutarchela I think was the first all women's group I saw or heard in the very early days when I was like just getting excited about Georgian music and at that time there was not a lot on Google or YouTube or Amazon or anywhere. Um, but I remember finding this movie called Like Air to Breathe, <laughs> which the translations is not great in English, but is something like, like the air that we breathe. It's like, it was a film in German and English. No, it's not in English at all. It's in German and Georgian. Oh, wow. And it's a DVD. Yes. So it came out in probably like 2008. And that's around when I was getting excited about um, Georgian music. And I had, a, so I had a friend in Germany who was able to order it. He ordered it and then he sent it to me. And then I get the DVD and I'm like, I got to watch this. I don't speak German or, or Georgian. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So a third of that movie is Tamar and Tutarchela and them singing their songs oh, wow. and them like having a, a their rehearsal in Rustavi. You see them sitting in the kitchen and singing together. And I printed I printed out all the lyrics. That's basically how I learned how to read in Georgian was by reading the titles of the songs that Tutarchela sings. Wow. Yeah. So like I have this very special place in my heart that's like, what what is happening over there um like it was obvious that it was something really deep and really special even though I was only getting it through the language of music and not through English you know um and that's something that's you know I'm sure you've experienced oh, yeah. too that where you can 
share something through music with other people where you don't share a common language, you can still have this connection. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. So that sort of leads me maybe to thinking about uh, Kika, you and Kika hosted Svetlana Spiets during a like early pandemic Zoom class. Um, and for me, I sort of had that same feeling of like, oh, this is a woman singing songs about the earth and she is deeply yeah. rooted and just roaring yeah. about it. And I don't know that much about Serbian singing, but I could I could feel that same connection with what I know about um, Georgia music. Can you talk a little bit about either your time working sure. with her or? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Svetlana Spych is one of the most, yeah, you said she's so grounded and like earthbound and, and honest and like she just you, you never hear a word from her that you don't believe you know like she's so connected right it's really deep and rich and low and she, you know rangeful for sure so my history with her Kitka worked with her gosh in 2000 maybe 10 or so or 11 for a program called singer of tales and she wow just thinking about it is making me a little emotional it was so beautiful she was somebody who really pushed Kitka to think about how we could bring our own language to folk music to like mm. traditional singing styles mm -hmm. from Serbia which mm -hmm. was super interesting I was mm -hmm. really resistant to it I was mm. like you can't sing Serbian style music in English I mm -hmm. hate English you know not that I hate English but English is it's I don't know i there's something about the way that the phonemes work in English that I, I find it hard to make it work in traditional singing. Mm -hmm. Like it just, I don't know, mm -hmm. it's interesting. I have a weird relationship to it. So we did this project with her and she had Kitka work on, I think it was, oh, what is the style? Was it Nabas? It was the- Was it really... the Rasolka cycle? No, 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 that was Mariana oh, no. Sadovska. Um, oh, okay. No, there's this one style I wish I could remember the name of it right off the top of my tongue. But there's this one really super dissonant, like really gritty, gritty style of singing. And she had Kitka make up lyrics to it that was Ooh. like San Francisco Bay and like blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. <laughs> so rippy. But I think what it what it did for me is it made me recognize that folk music comes from your surroundings. Like she's somebody who really pushes that message. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think she teaches songs about the earth and like harvest songs and and like I noticed when we worked with her last year in September and she taught the rain song she didn't really teach them she mm -hmm. just kind of sang them mm -hmm. and was like here they are mm -hmm. take them you know <laughs> right, it didn't right. feel like here's the notes and here do, 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 do. it was very mm -hmm. much like here's the song take it if you want it use it mm -hmm. if you want it it felt like that kind of like very utilitarian use of music in mm -hmm. a way. The other thing I want to say about her and the kind of music that she teaches and collects is she's talked about the fact that she'll go to, to villages. So just a little backstory on, on Svetlana's work. So she collects music from all over small villages in Serbia and learns from like old people who are carrying the traditions. And then she has you know, a vocal ensemble that performs these traditional, like these sort of dying out traditions, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she talks about when she's learning the songs, like she'll go and she'll learn a traditional, I mean, and, and these songs from the villages are like really, really dissonant and mm -hmm. just sort of like wackadoodle. Like mm -hmm. they're just like 
clearly people were like, let's have fun and make notes really close together. And, like, <laughs> and she was saying that the people in the villages couldn't even break out like what the parts were, mm-hmm. you know, and were sort of like, can you sing your part by yourself? And the person was like, no, I can't because this song <laughs> is two voices. Yes. You know, and I loved that. I, I, I had never, you know, as a teacher, as somebody who, you know, shares the music I know with other people, it's so much about breaking down each part, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so much about like getting super specific on each part. And I love the idea that a song is not a song unless it has both the parts. Mm-hmm. And these are the sort of like really, really traditional village pieces. Mm-hmm. The, the work with Svetlana has been really fascinating. I also took a private lesson with her in the fall and she just like called me out, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like, She's like, you have such a beautiful voice and I need to feel you. I need to mm-hmm. dig deeper and don't, don't dress it up with mm-hmm. anything. Just mm-hmm. sing. And it was, you know, and it was really mm-hmm. eye-opening for me, you know, to, to really kind of come from a place of like feeling my feet on the ground and feeling my, the sound coming from low in my body and, and, mm-hmm. and not trying to sound like anything but me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's yeah. super interesting about her, you know, yeah. she teaches very specific music and she wants you to sound like you right right and that you know know, that's that is the sign of a good teacher I think making you kind of take that step further and and make the song yours and find it within yourself and and then it sounds better too it's more interesting to listen to you know once you do that I remember some members of Dunava met up with Irina who is in Dacha Bracha the oh yeah yeah Ukrainian what would you call them Ukrainian folk super group folk fusion (laughs) super group Yeah. yeah but Irina lives here locally and so we we're at a party together and we, some of the people in the group really wanted to sing Vdova, which is a song I know, you know, and that song, the woman who's singing it is like, she's in pain. (laughs) When you hear those grandmothers sing that song, there's no, there's no question what emotion is happening. And I think we had gotten to a place with that song where we we're just kind of like, oh yeah, let's sing it. That's what's Ukrainian song we know, la la la. Uh, and so we sang it for her and she just said, stop. <laughs> yeah. You are like, you are like kitten. <laughs> you are like mm-hmm. kitten that is just like, meow, 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 meow. You know, like you need to be, you know, big, like tiger roar, this, re- this really big voice. And to have her say that, like, No, this is not. And I think sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget what the language is about. Like what words are we singing and what emotions are we conveying? And not just this is number seven in our set list. Like, let's just sing it like we always do, you know. So I always appreciate it when there are teachers like Svetlana, like Tamar, who say, that's nice. And... (laughs) Now, really give it to me.
they're so appealing, you know, mm-hmm. that's why they are the the forefront of these folk traditions, you know, and mm-hmm. sharing them and teaching mm-hmm. them is that they sing from such an honest place, you know, yeah. you can't, like, I, I never doubt what Tamara is saying and her mm-hmm. singing, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. They, and, and, and I think as I think one of the things that's, there's two things that feel like, maybe stand in the way one is like the sort of language fluency right Mm -hmm. to like have this removed like you have to memorize like if you're an english speaker and you're maybe you know you have to just sort of memorize the meaning of a thing Mm -hmm. and trans so there's a translation that's going on if you're really trying to integrate what the words mean into your singing Mm -hmm. like you're singing these words out here that are in this you know in whatever language you're singing in and then in your head this is my experience anyways. And this is something I'm really trying to fix or like to, you know, get better at like in my head, I'm thinking in English. Mm -hmm. Right. And so how to, how to kind of get that gap closer where it's like the language that's coming out of my mouth has the meaning of the original language. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. like, I mean, it's such a subtle thing to think about, but it's Mm -hmm. also really powerful. Like there's a song that Svetlana taught Kitka, which is called Jegar Polye one of my favorite songs in the whole wide world and Mm -hmm. i teach it a lot and i sing it a lot i like and it's one of the songs where i feel like i am inside of that song i've never been to jagad but it is the most beautiful place on the planet and i know exactly how it looks i know exactly how it feels it's really bizarre and you know and if i could do that or if all of us sort of once removed people can like integrate in that way i think our Mm -hmm. music would be so much more interesting and it would be less pretty pretty is not something i mean i know you know a group of women's voices together we make pretty sounds like that's part of Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i think what's interesting is when we make less pretty sounds and Mm -hmm. we sound you know and we sound like real (laughs) A right. woman after my own heart. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the village stuff. I love the really clashy songs. I re- kind of seek that out. You know, if it's so clashy, it's like minor second, less than a minor second. And, yeah. But you can feel your molecules rearranging. I mean, you can feel uh-huh. you can feel the vibration through your whole body. And, you know, if you're open to receiving that, it's it's very powerful. And I think some people, it just makes them uncomfortable. Like when we've, when Dunova has performed particularly Serbian duet songs where their harmony is just so tight, so close. Sometimes people will laugh at the end. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. But it's just, it's just, it's uncomfortable to hear this thing that's so different than what we're used to hearing. And then also maybe they feel it in their bodies, but they don't know what to do with that feeling. Uh Absolutely. brings to mind something kind of off topic but there's this book called the comfort crisis mm. uh, 
that a friend of mine is reading and it's sort of talking about the fact that we spend so much time in comfort right mm. we spend, like in, especially in like a sort of modern american culture and this is of course not for it doesn't speak to everybody's experience and i want to say that right out but his his whole thing is is like where are the pieces of discomfort that will make us connect to our humanity? You know, it used to be that like when you woke up in the morning, you had to go out for four hours and hunt your food for the day. Mm-hmm. And you had to like sleep really close to everybody in your family so that you didn't die from freezing. And now it's like we get in our warm beds with our fresh water coming out of the sink and, and we listen to highly produced music that is edited and mastered and mixed so that it sits exactly where you need it so that you can continue to like it right Mm -hmm. and so i can understand how you know hearing a really dissonant song it it is uncomfortable and people don't know what Mm -hmm. to do with it Mm -hmm. but i think we gotta keep singing it because Mm -hmm. like the more people can hear it the better Mm -hmm. in my humble opinion (laughs) yeah oh definitely yeah well and i wonder if that somehow ties into where we are you know 16 months into the pandemic or if you want to say on the other side of the pandemic some of us are still very much still in it but I wonder if that speaks if there's a connection there of like how are we being intentional about how we find community how do we seek out what the essential elements are for our survival. I know for me, it's been like, you know, I need, I have like one friend that I really like to see. I really need to laugh with that one friend. I need to spend time with children because that's also like, it's a warm, I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I love helping them learn, but also like there's a warmth that you get there from that as well. And then it's like, what? what well we all need to eat what food can i grow what food can i share what can we trade you know have you experienced that a little bit during this really bizarre time absolutely i mean my life has been a little bit of a wacky thing i've moved a lot over the last year so i really feel like i've just been sort of holding on to i mean the thing i've been actually holding on to the most is like breathing and meditation and music and i do live stream vocal warm-ups twice a week and getting to sing like singing so i want to say this i rejoined kitka in march of 2020 mm-hmm. right what a time right before the pandemic yeah right before it i was like yeah. they they came to me and they were like my, my father passed away in the end of 2019 and about six weeks after that Kitka, because I had just done winter songs and they were like hoping to find a high singer, like, and they were excited to collaborate with me again. And I was like, okay, this is, this is a time where like my dad would really be proud of me if I rejoined Kitka mm-hmm. and I get to sing. And like, they're about to work with Svetanka Vadimezova, who's an mm-hmm. amazing Bulgarian singer for this project. Great. I'm going to do this. Boom. Shelter in place. Mm-hmm. And it became a Zoom group. And mm-hmm. it was like, it was such a weird thing, you know, I just felt so strange. So I knew that I needed to find a way to sing. I needed to find a way to connect to my voice. And the best way I could do that was through teaching and through sharing what I know mm. about singing with other people. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing the live stream vocal warm ups, and it feels essential to my mm-hmm. life now. Mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to sing. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't not. When I don't sing, I feel awful. Mm -hmm. And when I do sing, I feel a lot better. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't think I really realized that before. I think I took it for granted. And I think during the pandemic, uh, singers were one of the most impacted groups. Like our activity, the thing that we do, the thing that we love could kill everyone around us. Right. You know, like, oh my God, it was such, and and what's so bizarre is singing is such a like life giving Mm -hmm. activity. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's one of the things that I found super essential and really helpful, especially when my life was not grounded, you mm-hmm. know, and I, it was a really good way for me to center in. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I rethought so many things this mm-hmm. last year. Yeah, like, I feel important. I feel similarly as far as like needing to sing, needing to sing with people. And that's my, like, (laughs) if I were to make my list, my hierarchy of needs for, you know, mental and emotional well-being, like singing with other people, and I would now say add in person, (laughs) I would add that as a caveat. Apparently I didn't tell the gods that it was exactly that, but that that's pretty high on the list. That's like in the top five with food and water and shelter. Yeah. So it. I feel similarly, it has really made me prioritize and, you know, just how can I, how can I make that happen? And maybe that even just means, you know, if there is, there is a group that is in a place where they can sing together and I'm watching it on zoom that I'm actually singing along and feeling it in my body versus just like, oh, this is a nice concert. I'm going to sit passively and quietly in the audience. I mean, maybe that's actually one good thing that the pandemic and and the Zoom thing has brought to us is that you can sing along to the entire concert and nobody cares. cares, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hi, listeners. Jen here. Hope you're enjoying my chat with Bridget. Check out some of the other episodes of Voices of the Ancestors. There's a whole back catalog of brilliant women. For example, episode three, Healing Songs and Circle Dances with Nino Nanaishvili. Or episode 11, Khatia Turmanidze finds her voice about a teenager in a singing family. Susan and Holly are the regular hosts, and they've built the podcast from the ground up. They are totally independent. They rely on listener donations to keep the podcast going. You can support them on Patreon at patreon.com slash Voices of the Ancestors. You can enable more women's stories to be heard. You can buy Holly and Susan a mint tea and a coffee on Kofi at kofi.com. That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com slash Voices of the Ancestors. When you buy them a coffee, you're actually helping them purchase microphones, editing software, and to pay for interpreters and translators to make the podcast episodes accessible to a wider audience. Now let's get back to the interview. Well, I know for sure that I need to ask you, what does Voices of the Ancestors mean to you? Hmm. That's such a good question. And I read it, you sent it to me earlier and I was like, wow, that's a good one. So I thought of this, there's, for me, I feel like there's two tracks. There's spiritual ancestry and there's like genetic ancestry. Mm. And they feel really different to me. I feel a lot less connected to my genetic ancestry than I do to my spiritual ancestry. And I'll explain a little bit. So I'm Irish, 
100%. And I have never, like, I've listened to Irish music, and every so often I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, like, dig in on Irish music and I'll <laughs> learn it. Is this the music of my people? And especially this last year, I felt like it's so important to understand our cultural roots and, like, really, you know, find our identities through our history, right? And I just like, I'm, I don't know, like my spirit isn't as drawn to it as say, like music from Eastern Europe. And for me specifically, like the Southern Balkans, so much so that when I landed in Greece for the first time, I had an out-of-body experience. Mm. I was like, this is my home. This is where I like, I mean, I get chills every time I talk about it. This is like, there's something here. There's something mm -hmm. deep. And I don't, I can't explain it, you know, and I don't need to, mm -hmm. <laughs> but mm -hmm. it's there, you know, it's a real thing. So I think, and then actually maybe there's like a third track of ancestry, which is sort of humanity, mm -hmm. like connecting mm -hmm. to being a human being and, and understanding that there's been this evolution of human experience that is part of who I am today mm -hmm. and part of why I make music part of why I'm a creative person is because I want like I want to feel that deep root mm -hmm. and I'm not sure it, how that how that all ties in but for me there's like saying the voices of the ancestors feels like it, it almost has like the genetic thing should be the place where it goes mm -hmm. because that on like a scientific place makes a lot of sense but then mm -hmm. there's this other tracks that feel more alive to me mm -hmm. what you were saying before about how the two singers really need each other to mm. to know how the song goes and you know i can't sing the part by myself because i need the other person there that for me that's what i love about polyphony and that's what i love about i mean emotionally and spiritually there's the like they need me as much as I need them. And we have this like mutual exchange of working together and creating a thing together. But yes, I think there is something that's visceral and ancient and that we maybe we don't even have all of the words or all of the real understanding for why it is that way. But we, you know, that's, that's why I thought it would be good to interview you because I know that we do both feel that we both feel it and seek it out and we try to, you know, create it within our own communities. Yeah. I where I'm going with that point. I think, but. I think that the sort of ancientness and the spirituality and the rootedness of folk music, I'm curious about how to bring that forward into like modern consciousness. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important, you know, mm -hmm. even if it's not anything that is obvious or we are rooted in this, da, 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 it's like, mm -hmm. I would rather people be aware of depth and like of history and of mm -hmm. culture and of lineage and the fact that we're not the only people. Like we've, we come from this incredible, complex, like bizarre history of humanity, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, I actually think that like the pandemic has pushed this like evolutionary thinking a little bit. I, I feel like something needed to be split open mm -hmm. so that we can get our heads out of our tushies and and start to recognize that our spirits are deep and old and rich and resilient, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and that like creative expression is a perfect way to dig in on that and to like mm -hmm. experience that. Yeah.
definitely. Well, I think in in the old way or the before times, you know, it was easy to just you go to your nine to five job, you see your same work acquaintances who you, you know, say hello right. to, but you don't actually make eye contact and like you, you warm up your same frozen lunch in the, in the microwave at your workplace and like you do your job and then we're done, you go home. <laughs> like I, I was guilty of that. I, I did that for, you know, a long time. And I think, yeah, I think there was something that needed to be cracked open where, and because it happened to everyone, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, we were all in a position of being able to, to ask ourselves if we have enough privilege to know that we have shelter and food, yeah. <laughs> then yeah, we right. can be asking ourselves, what, how do I want my life to be? What do I want my life to be like? What are the things that I really value? And what are the things that I could do without? Right. And the like <laughs> patriarchal capitalists are like, oh, Right, right. Oh my God. right, exactly. Right. Well, and then you get to like look at what's comfortable for you and what's, mm-hmm. you know, I think we spend so much time not being tuned into what we want mm-hmm. and like what, right. what feels right. And right. yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess there have been some good things that have made a lot of us tune in, tuning in to what feels right, I think is just a, really, a good way to summarize all of that. Yeah. 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 I thought of one more thing just because we're still recording and I didn't ask oh, you yeah. about it. <clears throat> Another reason that I asked you to the podcast was that I feel like there's this, you know, we kept talking about culture bearers and people bringing songs places. You actually brought a song to me, which was very special. You came to Seattle and taught a workshop and I want to say it was probably like 2000 nine or ten called Bedinera. It's a wedding song, three-part song from Polycarpe Jubolava's repertoire. Yeah. And you taught that in a workshop, which looking back on it now, that was a bold move. Because <laughs> that is not an easy song. I mean, yeah. talk about polyphony. That's some that's some twisty stuff. But you taught it in the workshop. I then I had all of the recordings. I then brought it to my friends in Moscow, Idaho, and we Mm -hmm. studied it and sang it together as a trio. And that was like, when you can drive six hours and meet up with friends and they're like, yes, I want to sing this and I want to sing it with you right now. (laughs) That's a very special thing. Yeah, you know, you got good friends. (laughs) Um, So we sang that together. But then the most magical thing was that later... In 2011, I went to this very special village called Merisi, which is in Achara in, in Western Georgia. And I met the Turmanidze family who they've been on the podcast before. But then I met Polycarpe and I got to spend a week with him learning his songs. Wow. And so the fact that I had some semblance of an idea of what a Migrelian song does what the top does, what the middle does, what the bass does, how they're all like intertwined and interconnected together. Like that song that you taught me was basically like, it gave me a blueprint that Mm. I could work from. And so then when Polycarpe was teaching us these songs that were even more complicated and sometimes, and of course, every time that he would sing out the line, it would be totally different than the time before. Yeah. Yeah. But I felt like I could hang on to that ride 
I could ride that ride. <laughs> That's amazing. So I wanted to say thank you for that. Did Carl Linick teach that to you? Yeah, and then you Carl Linick. It. Yeah. it was in the context of Kitka. We learned it from Carl during the Kitka and Trio Kafkazia concert no, yeah. series yeah. that we Yeah. So it went all the way from, it went from Poughkeepsie, New York, then it went to the San Francisco and Oakland Bay area, it came up to Seattle, and then it went right back to where it came, oh yeah, before Poughkeepsie, New York, it came from Polycarpe in right. San Miguelo, yeah. So then it, to be able to like complete that circle um, just felt really magical and really special, so thank you for that. I'm really glad to hear that. I sometimes have questions. I was like an American teaching music that's not of my culture and my, you know, I feel mm -hmm. a responsibility and I sometimes have concerns about it and yeah. is it the right thing to be doing and should mm -hmm. I blah, 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 blah. But hearing mm -hmm. something like that is profoundly, like it, it makes me feel okay about what I do and that sharing songs is, it's just such an important act. If like, you know a song, share it and mm -hmm. talk about where you learned it and don't hold it to yourself or be afraid to share what you know but always be humble always be open always be crediting always be acknowledging where it comes from but continue to share mm -hmm. i remember talking to svetanka varimezova about that what do you think when we teach bulgarian music to other people and she's mm -hmm. like teach the music mm -hmm. teach it go you know it i've given it to you go mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's really reassuring to hear you tell that story. And I'm, it's, what a cool story. <laughs> yeah. And it does, yeah, I think it gives us good faith or good feedback that like we are doing the right thing, that we're being intentional and careful about it. And we, we're doing our best to learn the language, visit the places, meet with the people who have studied so much about it. I mean, that is, that's a really important, like you were careful in how you presented it it to me and I knew that it was a special thing that 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 needed to be treated in a special way and so I I also took that care with it and yeah. then I was able to I don't know reach the ultimate goal of you know singing with back and it's back to the ancestors again to bring it back to to sing it with the he was 90 at the time when I sang wow. with him yeah yeah, so to bring it back to the roots and back to the earth from whence it came, that, that's a really special thing. So yeah, what an amazing opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I want to say is, if people out there want to sing this stuff and they don't have the opportunity to travel to Georgia, mm -hmm. 
I think you can still sing the music and mm-hmm. do your homework and talk to the people who have had the opportunity to go there and mm-hmm. talk, to, especially now with the pandemic having broken down all the walls because of the internet. We can have Zoom meetings and Zoom calls with people who carry these traditions. And a lot of people don't really want to do that. But I think that there's ways that if you don't have the means to travel to the places and to pay the mentors for their time, you can still learn the music, acknowledge the sources. I think that it's so important to recognize that continually learning and continually asking the important questions and paying attention to the language and paying attention, really deep attention to the context in which the songs are sung. Like those, I don't know, I just, I feel like people should have the freedom to know that they can do it. You're interested, follow your interest. If something sparks your joy, put attention toward it. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. 100%. Awesome. Okay. This was like the best. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you had so, so much interesting stuff to say. And yeah, thank you for that. You're welcome. episode, you heard snippets of three songs from Bridget's True Life Trio album, Like Never, Like Always. The songs were Mother Moon, It Will Never Again Be What It Was, and Love. Next, you heard Kitka singing Shen Har Venahi from their album The Vine, followed by Mokle Mraval Jamier from Ensemble Zedashe's album Our Earth and Water. 
Tamar Buadze and Teona Kutzia sing a mashup of a Spanish song and a Laz song simply titled Espanur Laz, which is available on YouTube. The percussion you hear is the two of them clapping and slapping the table. I encourage you to look that one up. You heard the opening verse of the Ukrainian folk song Vdova, sung by Ukrainian ensemble Drevo, followed by Dunova's Serbian medley from our album Behind the Veil. Finally, you heard Polycarpe Hubulava in a trio singing Bedinera from the CD Teach Yourself Negrelian Songs, and then last, Jegar Polie or Jegar Field Feeds My Lamb from Svetlana Spajic. for listening and supporting Voices of the Ancestors. You can visit voicesoftheancestors.co.uk for transcripts of all the episodes, as well as for a complete song list of the songs in this episode. Hope to see you on Holly and Susan's Patreon at patreon.com slash voicesoftheancestors. Until next time.